that you will sign up for life groups. I do not condone life group leaders intentionally leaving their zippers down. I thought it was an accident for service. So thank you, Joe Reed, for just being real. But I do hope that you will sign up for one of the life groups. I really appreciate the group of people who are invested in saying, let's dig into scripture, let's pray together. The work of a life group leader is really important, and I'm really grateful for each of you. But just a couple of things I want to share. Um, Darnell, where are you? Darnell, where'd you go? I can't see you. Oh, we just popped out for a second. Darnell's back. You need to all welcome Darnell. He's not been here uh, in the last 14 months, so I'm uh, so glad to have him back. And also, I mentioned to you last week that I am in the middle of doing my annual doctoral residency for classes that I'm doing. So thank you so much for all of your support last week as I was not available and generally not responding to most messages and certainly not responding in a timely fashion. So thank you so much for your graciousness with that. I uh, spent the entire week on my computer, which was um, not super fun because my classes got switched to online, but you know what? It's what it is. And I have one more week of that. And um, so thank you so much for your grace in the process. Really appreciate that. After this next week, I'll be halfway through my coursework, which is kind of exciting. So anyway, thank you again for all your support with that. Today, we are continuing our series, Prayer Lab. Prayer Lab. Who is in the prayer lab? Who is in the laboratory experimenting practicing, trying different kinds of experiments in your time with God. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about my chemist. Oh, I just have to say, Darnell and, is that Shelly too? Oh, hi. We're all saying hi to you. We said hi to you and you stepped out. Hi. Welcome. We love you. Super glad you're here. Give them some love after the service. So I, I talked a couple weeks ago about how when I was in chemistry in high school, and I suffered through that agonizing experience, there were two teachers, and one teacher had all these fun experiments, and another teacher didn't do any experiments at all, and all we did was chemistry math without any of the fun. And that was the teacher that I had. My friend Karen is here today. She's my friend from high school, and she's visiting me from Wisconsin. So I'm so glad you're here, Karen. And, and uh, right before the service, I said, I said, Karen, which teacher did you have for chemistry? And she reminded me she had the same one that I did. And we were just commiserating. We were having this moment in the middle of worship, just commiserating of remembering very clearly what that experience was like and how we still have trauma from our chemistry class because we did chemistry math without any of the experiments. We never had a lab. We never did any of the fun. We just did the algebra and whatever it is that you do. So what we've been talking about with prayer lab is the difference between knowing information about prayer cognitively understanding what you do when you pray, but never actually getting to the heart. So often, we pray prayers that are meaningless, boring, recited quotations that we're not really connecting with in our hearts. And we have the mental experience, the mental knowledge of prayer without the heart experience of prayer. So that's what Prayer Lab has been all about. It's doing the practical stuff. It's trying new things. It's doing experiments. It's trying fasting. It's fasting in different ways. It's trying different ways of entering into prayer. What are, what are the opening exercises that you're doing? It's saying, I'm going to read scripture a little bit differently. I'm going to try some new things, and I'm just going to try to grow 
You're never going to know how you need to grow until you try some things. So that's what Prayer Lab is all about. I hope, I hope that as you've been listening to this series, that you haven't just gone home each week and had new things to think about. I hope that you have gone home each week and have had some new things to do. I hope you're trying and practicing and experimenting and failing, because failing is part of experiments, and also finding some things that work for you. Prayer lab. Let's get in the lab. Jesus, when his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus says, here's how you should pray. We have his prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Will you recite this with me, please? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So there are four major sections to this prayer. If you break it up according to groups and types of things we're praying about, the first one, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we're, we're praying about things of the kingdom. We're praying, God, your things first. God, you are holy. Bring your kingdom. God, your, your will. Bring your things here. And then it says, give us today our, provide for our needs. God, I have a need. God, help. This is the help prayers. Anybody pray help prayers pretty regularly? Uh, daily? Yes, help prayers. Just help me, God. Help me with what I need for today. And, and then it's forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Yeah, we got to get forgiveness in there, right? This theme of forgiveness. Not only God forgive me, but God help me to forgive others. It's both. So we have prayers for the kingdom, prayers for help, prayers for forgiveness. And then we have this last line, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then we have this line about prayers to resist evil. Now, I think of these four categories of prayer, we pray regarding God's kingdom, we pray regarding help, forgiveness, and evil, I think that we probably most often pray for help, and then maybe after that we more regularly pray for forgiveness, and perhaps sometimes we pray for God's kingdom, God, your kingdom to come. We, we pray that at City Life a lot of times. But I wonder how regularly we pray to resist evil. And that's what I would like us to explore today. Prayers to resist evil. Prayers to resist the evil one. It is a prayer of resistance. Just this past week, there was Holocaust Remembrance Day earlier in the week. And in it, there were, there were story, all sorts of amazing stories where we remember, among many other things, people who acted in resistance to the Nazi regime. 
there was the French resistance, there was the Dutch resistance, there, were, there, there was the, the Nazi regime was coming in, but there was, there was a resistance, a, a quiet, steady, undercurrent pushing, refusing to follow the Nazi laws, refusing to do what the, what the Nazis said, and subtly breaking those rules and pushing back against the evil. Now in chemistry, we usually talk about reactions in chemistry. We talk about how when two things come together, when one goes into the other, that they, they react together. The ions change, the molecules change, it changes the structure of, of uh, those things. I'm not going to get all the right terms I meant to. Uh, but it, it rearranges the molecules, it rearranges the, uh, the ions. So that's a reaction. But the opposite of a reaction is resistance. If things are combined together and they don't react, then we have resistance to the reaction. They, it's, it's, an, it's something that maintains its integrity. It doesn't change or compromise what it is. And it has an ability to withstand a chemical attack. So the characteristics of chemical resistance our ability to withstand attack and an ability to maintain its integrity. As the people of God praying to resist evil, we are praying for the ability to withstand an attack from the enemy and praying for an ability to maintain our integrity. Deliver us from evil is a prayer of resistance, not that we will react to the temptations and the struggles and the testing that comes our way, but that we will be able to resist. So, history of chemistry. Chemistry has a very strange history, actually. Modern chemistry as we know it, the scientific study, started to emerge around the 1700s, 1800s with some, some basic science. But prior to that, in the medieval era, chemistry of the medieval era was, era was called alchemy. Perhaps you've read about alchemy in novels or in books or in, in history books. It's, it is the, the subject of a lot of interesting fantasy stories and adventure stories because it just captured the imagination of so many people. Alchemy was, was the forerunner of modern chemistry, and it was kind of an occult science, kind of like what astrology is. And there were three, th this is a very basic overview, but there were three basic things that alchemy accomplished back in the day, or that they were trying to accomplish through alchemy. The first was they had this pursuit of turning metal into gold. They wanted to find some other base metal, and they wanted to turn it into gold, because everybody wanted to be rich, and everybody wanted gold, and so they thought if there could be some way we could just kind of like magically and magic scientifically make gold happen, then we can be rich. And, and so a lot of people pursued this for a lot of years. The second thing that alchemy did was it, the, it sought to discover a universal cure for all diseases. This is, remember, this is back in medieval times when medicine wasn't what it is now. And so they were just looking, how can we cure all the diseases? And the third thing they sought to do was to provide the elixir of life so that people could live forever. So, so there was this pursuit of alchemy of how, what can we mix together so that we can have long life so that we, we don't die. We look at this today and we say, that's pseudoscience. That's not even science. That's just kind of fantasy and mixed in with a little bit of science sort of stuff. 
And I would suggest that many people today try to mix true Christianity with a pseudo-spirituality. I would suggest that a lot of us have combined true Christian beliefs with secular beliefs, and we haven't really paid attention that some of our beliefs aren't even biblical or aren't of God. I think a lot of us have mixed our Christian beliefs with false gods. We've worshipped idols, maybe not actually statues, but maybe we've, we've, uh, we love other people more than we love God. Or we love other things or pursue other things more than we pursue God. That's a form of idolatry. And, and I think even more than, than all of this, a lot of us hold on, try to hold on to our Christian beliefs while also holding on, on the other hand, our, onto our favorite sins. You know, we can just kind of hold on to both of them together. I love Jesus, and I also love my favorite sin. And I think that's what alchemy did. It, has, it was a mix of pseudoscience and science and a mix of occult, it was kind of like an occult science. This is evil. Now, we're so used to mixing all this other stuff in that we don't even see it half of the time. But as we grow in our ability to pray, and as we become more like Jesus, we will more frequently want to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil, because we will be able to identify when evil is at play and is actually mixed into our regular lives in ways that we perhaps had never noticed before. We often don't like to talk about evil. It's for, you know, those overly spiritual people, we think. And I think sometimes Christians are concerned about getting into the out there stuff like Satan and the Holy Spirit and, you know, it's a little bit too out there. But prayer is spiritual work. I'd like you, as we go through this study today, as we go through this prayer to resist evil, that you examine how might evil be presenting itself in my life? How is evil seeking to manifest itself in me? What is there in me that is not holy? Now, some of you are going to look at yourselves and you're going to say, well, I'm, I'm good enough. I've done this before. I'm good enough. I don't have any, like, big sins. I'm asking you, what in you is not holy? What is not, if you cannot say it's holy, perhaps there's something that God wants to push up against in your life. There, there are lots of ways that, that evil may manifest itself, maybe through some of these vices like arrogance or pride Maybe through greed or wrath. Maybe you have anger, rage, or seeking vengeance. Vengeance can be a real dramatic form of evil. Holding on to hatred and bitterness. Holding on to lust of sex or lust of money or lust of power. Those are all driven by the enemy. We've experienced evil done to us through forms of, of abuse or being wronged by other people. And we've participated in systems of evil in the world on an institutional level. We, we frequently talked about systemic racism at City Life and something like human trafficking. These are systems of evil. And sometimes we participate in them without even thinking that we are. Evil 
is present and pushing here in this world. And prayer is the spiritual work that pushes against in a form of resistance. Prayer is a spiritual work that happens in the spiritual realm. We don't, sometimes we see the, mani- the, the manifestation of prayer in this realm, and sometimes, b- but we don't usually know what's happening on in the bigger realm with prayer. Prayer is spiritual work in the spiritual realm directed to a God who is spirit by believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit who are getting things done in a spiritual way. Prayer is the way we get things done. Now, if, if you don't know me very well, you might not know that I'm, I'm a little bit of a task-oriented kind of person. And you can laugh about that because it's a little, I'm working on, I'm working. I'm working. I'm trying, working really hard. I'm trying really hard. Do you see the irony there? Anyway. But so often, I need the reminder that prayer is the work. Prayer is the work that goes beyond what we can do. Prayer is the unleashing of God's power through us, through his church. It is the unleashing method that his kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is the work. So prayer gets things done in a way that is beyond human ability and beyond human reasoning. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'm going to pause right here because we need to get this church that the struggles we are dealing with in life, in our families, in our marriages, in our churches, in our schools, in our places of work, in our banks, in our, po- in our, polit- in our political structures, in our organization of our nations, in the wars of the world, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. The passage then goes on to say, and here's what the armor of God looks like. I'm I'm not going to go into that right now. Instead, I'm going to jump down to verse 18, where it concludes, and Pray in the Spirit. Say, pray in the Spirit. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. We pray because that is the way we resist this enemy, a spiritual work for a spiritual enemy. There are two major points to today. I've got a lot of notes, so if you're a note taker, you're going to have fun because it's a full-on outline. So if you are going to pray, deliver us from evil, you must realize, first of all, that number one, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. A lot of us live our lives as if we don't have enemies. Now, imagine that you are watching a superhero movie and they take out the part of the storyline that has to do with the enemy. There's like no story, right? Imagine that you are reading a a biography about a war, 
and they remove the enemy. There's no, there's no story without the enemy. A lot of us are living our lives by removing that portion of the story, and we're just living lives that are, are, are pretty two-dimensional. We have an enemy, and he is working actually against you. Evil reveals itself in several ways. Letter A, evil reveals itself in, in several ways. It, it, it reveals itself individually, so we, we know the evil that we are capable of, if we're self-aware. And it reveals itself institutionally, through systems, through our fallen world, through empire, through nations in conflict with each other. I read the news and I read about the conflict of nations. These are empires at war where there are spiritual forces at work in a bigger sense than what we see from human eyes. Evil reveals itself in several ways. Letter B, let's talk for a moment about what do we mean by deliver us from evil. So when we have an enemy, what do we mean by deliver us from evil? Bob Hostetler uh, breaks this down in a helpful way in his article, How to Pray. And he says this, when we hear the phrase deliver us from evil, first of all, it means, number one, deliver us from evil acknowledges that evil exists. Some are living in denial. We're living in denial because we don't want to think about that weird stuff. We don't understand it. It's creepy. It's disturbing. We don't get it. It's kind of out there. We're people of science and reason. So we don't want to acknowledge it. But, but when Jesus says, pray, deliver us from evil, if we're going to pray like Jesus, we have to acknowledge that evil exists. Number two, deliver us from evil acknowledges our need that we have to be delivered. That when we confront evil, when we have the, the, when evil is in our faces, when evil is happening in this world, it is not something that we have human power to manage. We need deliverance. We need somebody stronger and more equipped than we are to actually carry us through the deliverance. Third, deliver us from evil acknowledges that we can be delivered. Jesus says, pray that we will be delivered from evil because Jesus knows it's possible. He says, you're not stuck. There's hope. Deliverance is a possibility that can happen. So when we are praying, deliver us from the evil one, we're praying with an understanding of reality, we're praying with an understanding of our need, and we're praying with an understanding of the hope that Jesus is carrying us through. That's pretty, pretty loaded four words right there. Deliver us from evil. Now, you have an enemy let's talk for a few moments about some characteristics of Satan. And I'm going to preface this by saying, generally, the way to pray against evil, the best ways to resist evil, is not to focus on Satan, but to focus on Jesus. Generally, if you want to understand good and evil, the best way is to elevate Jesus and lift him up. And I do not intend at all to elevate the enemy, but I do think we need to know the enemy. And I think it's helpful for us to know his identifying characteristics so that you have wisdom and discernment in identifying when it is the enemy that is at work in your life. So we'll take a few moments to read some characteristics of Satan. Uh, what's, go ahead and read that first word on the screen. What's that first word? Prowling. prowling. What comes to mind when you think of prowling? Some creature lurking, waiting to hunt on the hunt, seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking 
for someone to devour. Just looking, seeking whom he may devour. He is prowling. He is also deceiving. He is a deceiver. Revelation 12 says, This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth. He, he is a deceiver of the world. You know what's noteworthy about deceit? A lot of times deceit isn't just a 100% lie. A lot of times deceit takes an element of truth and twists it just a little bit. So it's just, it's just taking a good thing of God and warping it. That's what deceit is. Someone who is trying to lie, if they're smart, they're going to take a little bit of truth and then twist it, rather than making up some completely far-fetched story. He's a deceiver. He's a master deceiver. He is also a liar. He is lying. Second Corinthians says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Masquerades means dressed up in a costume, faking it. He masquerades as an angel of light. He lies to us. John 8.44 says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning. Did you catch that? He wants to kill. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, church, I think a lot of the brokenness that many of us have is rooted in the fact that we believe lies about ourselves. And the enemy loves to keep us in bondage by getting us to believe that these lies are true, that we don't matter, that we aren't important, that we are forever destined to be less than. He speaks all sorts of lies to us, and he loves to keep us believing those lies. The enemy is also accusing. He is the speaker of guilt and shame. He is condemning. Revelation 12, 10 calls him the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. He is the one who speaks guilt. He is the one who speaks shame. Often when people, when I'm talking with people about they're wrestling with sin, you'll hear me say this at City Life. There is when there's sin in our lives, it does need to be dealt with. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, so we feel a godly sorrow. It's appropriate that we feel convicted of sin, that, that we realize, oh, it's not okay. We don't, we don't want to get into the whole thing of like, oh, sin doesn't matter. Like, I can just do whatever I want, because God cares about sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. But you know what the enemy's going to do? If, if he can't get you to ignore it, He's going to condemn you. He's going to make you feel all sorts of condemnation for your sin. So there is a difference. I, you need to pay attention. When, sin, when you become aware of sin in your life, are you feeling convicted or are you feeling condemned? Because the enemy is going to warp that real conviction into condemnation and use that to do something that is not healthy in you. The Holy Spirit will pull us into conviction of sin in a way that is hopeful and restorative and makes us, makes us know that we can be redeemed and there's a future for us. The enemy is an accuser. The enemy also steals. He is a thief. 
John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know what Jesus came to do? Jesus came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. The enemy wants to steal it away, to sneak it away, to snatch what he can to remove that from you. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. How can I destroy and kill? The enemy is blinding. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He blinds us. He tempts us. He, he tempts us. March, Mark 1, 13, it talks about how Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and even Jesus experienced temptation by Satan. Hebrews, in, in case you're kind of tripped up on it, like Jesus was tempted, Hebrews 4, 15 reminds us that Jesus has been tempted in every way that we were, yet did so without sin. You can experience temptation and not sin. The enemy is a tempter. And then finally, the enemy trips us up. He wants to be a stumbling block. He wants to cause us to fall. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking with Peter, and he tells Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, he's identifying that Satan is at work through the actions of Peter. He's acknowledging there's, there's evil at work here. He says, get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Satan directly. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Satan trips us up. He, he's tripping. He's tripping. He's accusing. He's stealing. He's blinding. He's tempting, and he's tripping us. You have an enemy that is both corporate, institutional, and individual, personal, that is lying, thieving, cheating, accusing, deceiving, prowling, and tripping you up. We have this kind of enemy at work in our lives. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus, the way that the enemy can influence you is limited. But you still need to understand how he works so that when that day of evil comes, as the scripture says, you can identify it and you can still stand. This is not something to be afraid of. The whole point of this is not fear-mongering so that we're all just afraid of the devil. Because we have a Jesus. We have a Jesus who has power, who has overcome. And that's point number two. You not only have an enemy, you have a defeated enemy. Yes, he is a formidable foe. But he is a loser. The war was fought on the cross at Calvary, and the devil thought he won when Jesus died. But when Jesus came back and resurrected from the dead, he overcame that power of death, and he squelched the devil's power. And from that moment on, it has been a losing battle for Satan. The power that the enemy has in this world is certainly power that we need to be aware of, which is why Jesus says, pray that you will be delivered from evil. But it is a limited power, and it is power that will be ultimately done. He has lost already, and how we experience the devil in this life is the kicking and screaming of his last kicks and screams because he knows that his time is limited. Hebrews 2 reminds us, since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood. Jesus, too, shared in their humanity. 
so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He is defeated. And the other thing that you need to know about this defeated enemy is this, letter B. You have authority over the evil one. Now, some of you are a little bit nervous about that because you're thinking, uh, (laughs) it's a little scary, or I don't feel that strong, or I have no idea what to do with that. But you have authority over the evil one. Three points under this. The first is this. The enemy is under the believer's authority. We have authority over the enemy because our authority comes from Jesus. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now read verse 20 out loud with me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I learned a song to this Bible verse when I was a kid. Uh, Any of you know it? Romans 16, 19 says, anybody else know that one? Just me. Great. (laughs) So, (laughs) but I learned it wrong. I don't think they taught it wrong. I think I just learned it wrong. And I, I, as I sang this song, I sang, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. The God of, God will crush him underneath his feet. Underneath his feet. That was a great song because I'm like, yeah, God's going to crush Satan. But it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized I was reading the verse wrong. And it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That means we have authority over the enemy, and that as believers, the enemy does not have that same kind of power over us. We have authority over the enemy because Jesus has raised us up with him to be in the heavenly realms together. Ephesians 2, 6 tells us God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Over and over, there are scriptures all over the Bible that talk about he has raised us up. He has raised us up with Christ. He has put his authority on us. He has conferred his authority to us. Over and over, as Jesus sends his disciples out to do mission, He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, I'm giving you my authority, now go and do it. He says, go and and cast out demons. Go and tell the good news of Jesus. Go and heal people. He says, go and tell people that my kingdom is here. He's given us his authority, and so often we don't take it. Because we believe the enemy's lies that we're weak, that we're not able that we're not good enough, that we don't really have that ability. That's not really actually true. You know, the enemy takes the worst thing. It's not actually true that God has given you authority. The enemy would love you to stay stuck in that. But the Bible says that the enemy is under our authority because we have Jesus' authority. Number two, the enemy is conquered through prayer. I don't know how else to deal with Satan other than by prayer. I don't think there's really anything else we can do other than through prayer. We pray prayers of resistance because we fight a spiritual enemy 
with spiritual power. 2 Corinthians 10 reminds us, for though we live in the world, can you read this phrase with me? We do not wage war as the world does. I continue in verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Hey, church, last week we talked about, let's pray some grown-up prayers. Let's get beyond the now I lay me down to sleep. Let's get beyond the God, thank you for the food. Let's get beyond the God, thank you for waking me up this morning. we're, We're thankful for those things. Let's keep going, though. Because I'm reading this verse right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, and it tells me that our prayer is a weapon. And it tells me that this weapon has divine power. And it tells me that this divine power has the ability to demolish strongholds. That's kind of a big thing. You know, I, I, I read these things and I think, God, this is, this is way more than I'm able to handle. But I think that's why the scripture is so full of it, telling us, telling us, this is who you are. This is your calling. This is your ability. This is your equipping. Not because of you, not because of your strength, not because of anything, but because it is what I have enabled you to do. The enemy is under the believer's authority. Number two, the enemy is conquered through prayer. And third, we mature in our authority as we resist evil. James 4 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We mature in our authority as we practice resisting evil. Now, some of you are saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to jump right into this whole, like, devil thing, and I'm going to pray these prayers of resistance, but I just I want to give you a little bit of a caution. Don't jump to chemistry math if you haven't mastered arithmetic. You need some maturing to happen here. There's some steps in between, like in between arithmetic and chemistry math, there's algebra I can hardly say that word. It's like a bad word in my mouth. But there is a process of learning. And I'm not saying hold back and don't jump in. I'm saying grow up, get in the prayer lab. You know some things. Now it's my fault that you know some things, so now you're responsible to do something with it. And practice. And grow. And deepen and get frustrated with God, and wrestle, and struggle. Let him change you. Be in the presence of Jesus, because as you are in the presence of Jesus, as you walk with him, and as you learn from him, as you are with him, you begin to value what Jesus values, and you begin to wage war against the enemy in the way that Jesus wages war against the enemy. This leads me to practical tips. Practical tips. The first is this. You learn to identify evil not by studying evil, 
not by studying the devil, but by consistently sitting in the presence of Jesus. Some of you are wondering, well, how can I know if what's going on is, is evil? How do I know if it's evil or if it's from God? How do I know if it's a bad, how do I know if this bad thing is evil or if it's just like evil or if it's just me? That kind of discernment happens as we spend time with Jesus. Nobody can give that to you. You can only get it as you spend time with Jesus. As you spend time in his presence, as you spend time in his word, as you spend time in prayer, you understand the character of who Jesus is. You understand what he values. You begin to more clearly understand his mission and what he's doing in this world. And as you start to value what Jesus values, you start to recognize what's attacking the kingdom of God, what's attacking the things of Jesus. And then you start to see more clearly, oh, I have enemies. We have enemies here. So the best way to gain discernment in this area is not to then not go to the internet and read everything you can about Satan. Spend time immersing yourself in the presence of Jesus. The other practical tip is this. I hope you are struggling with feeling inadequate. The second tip is this. You are inadequate and unable to defeat the enemy in your own power. I hope you feel inadequate to do this, because if you feel adequate to stand up against Satan, I think you are deceiving yourself, and I think you have an inflated self-awareness <laughs> that's not quite rooted in reality. The best way to pray, deliver us from evil, the best way to resist sin, is in a state of acknowledging your inadequacy. Saying, God, if it were up to me, I can't do this. But God, because of your Holy Spirit that has been given to me, I lean on your Holy Spirit, I rely on your Holy Spirit, I trust your Holy Spirit, and I need your Holy Spirit to pray with me and help me and show me how. Our final passage of today is Romans 8, 26, where it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let, let me pause here and say, do you think that God wants you to resist the enemy or give in to the enemy? Right. He wants you to resist. Now, do you think that he wants you to just struggle and have a really hard time of it? Or do you think that he wants to help you? And so when he gives us his Holy Spirit, do you think he just gives that to you so that you can have like this like really exciting, meaningful moment of singing songs in church? Or do you think he's giving you his Holy Spirit to actually help you with this stuff? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's equipped you. He's helping you. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When there is evil at play and you don't know how to pray, which I think is very common and normal, we have the Spirit available to help us. Deliver us from evil. I want to take a few moments to pray 
these prayers. I don't know how evil may be manifesting itself in your life, at your life. Perhaps you see evil in you. On my way here to church this morning, I, was, I, I felt checked in my spirit, like, oh, I think there's, this sermon is making me think about some sin in my own life that I hadn't, hadn't noticed otherwise, and I, I had some confession time. I don't know how evil's at play. I don't know what kind of evil systems and evil structures are at work against your marriage, against your family, in your children's school, what your, what your parents are going through. There are evil systems at play in our city. You're inadequate but the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Let's take a few moments and pray. And worship team, I'm actually not ready for you yet, so Mark, you play, but um, singers, go ahead and step back, singers, because uh, we're going to take a few more minutes to pray, if you don't mind, and still go through communion. Ask God what evil do I need to resist? Ask God, deliver us from evil. And if you don't know what to pray, I just encourage you to simply repeat that phrase from the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. And if your mind wanders, just like I've told you in previous weeks, that's okay. When you realize it, just pull back into focus and just let it be. But hold this before the Lord and ask him, how he would like you to pray, what evil you need to resist. Lord Jesus, your word says that your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And you have invited us, you've challenged us to deliver, to be delivered from evil, to pray that prayer. And Jesus, we didn't ask to be involved in the struggle, but here we are. And for our lives, we have to engage. Lord, deepen us, mature us. Make us agents of your kingdom. Purify us, call us to holiness. Explore anything in us that is ungodly. Examine our hearts. 
and see if there is any wicked way in me. In just a few moments, church, we're going to be participating in communion. And I'm going to invite you, as we're singing the song, either sing the song or sit in your seats and reflect. But sing the words of the song, God, I'm, I'm sorry for ways that I've participated in evil. Let it be a prayer of repentance. And tell God you're ready. Say, I, I don't feel, maybe I don't feel ready, but God, I, I'm here, I'm available, I'll do what you want me to do. And action steps that I'd like you to take this week, church, is, as, as you reflect on this phrase, deliver us from evil, a couple things I'd like you to keep in mind. You'll, you'll get a lab packet as you walk out again for lab work during the week again. First of all, if you're not currently setting aside time specifically to pray each day, do it. Give it a try. Get in the lab. Give it a try. You've been hearing me harp on this for a few weeks now. Get in the lab and give it a try. There, it's good to do pray as you go, but this is something different. Specific, focused time to pray. The second thing is consider taking the Lord's Prayer and praying it phrase by phrase, particularly this deliver us from evil. And pray about whatever it is that the Holy Spirit might have brought to your mind today. My guess is that if you have something on your mind, some sort of evil to pray against, that it's very specific to your situation and, and is personal to you. And I would guess that if we were to all say what those things were, we would all have different things because God works uniquely and individually and specifically with each one of us. So I encourage you to pay attention to whatever it is that might have come to mind because it very well could be the Holy Spirit bringing that to your awareness and is something that you need to probe deeper with God in prayer. As you come and receive communion momentarily, the cross was where evil was confronted by the power of Jesus. It was at the cross that evil was dealt with that sin received its final blow. And it was at the cross that Jesus gained authority over all the powers and all the superpowers. And it is how he has given us, conferred upon us his authority. And so as you come today, come and pick up these elements, take them back to your seat, sing or pray, but reflect upon the evil that God has conquered and the evil that he wants to conquer in you today. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you, Trudy. Brenda, this is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. Sunday, this is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. Okay. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you, Molly. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. 
This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you. This is the body and the blood of Jesus for you, Felicia. Thank you. Body and blood. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would sanctify your bread and this cup, your body and your blood, that as we receive it, we may do so as an act of receiving your Holy Spirit. Tear off the top layer and remove the wafer. through the breaking of his body, through this sacrifice, that we have experienced redemption. Take it and eat. And open up the cup by the pouring out of his blood, the spilling of his blood when it should have never been spilled through the sacrifice that we have salvation. Take it and drink. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your power and your resurrection. We acknowledge your holiness, your righteousness, and your goodness. 
Lord, where the enemy has come to kill and destroy, you have come to give us life and to give us life abundantly. Where the 